Have you ever have you ever been asked a dumb question? <laughs> so have you ever asked been asked a dumb question that after you answered it, you kind of dismissed it, but then it bugged you, that it continued to work on you, that it turned out the more you thought about it, the less dumb it appeared. And in fact, over time, you came to think, you know, that's really not a dumb question at all. That's a, that really cuts to the core of the issue. If you've ever had that kind of a question posed to you, we have one in our reading today, a question that is, that on the surface seems very dumb, but we, we see it, um, uh, turn out to be actually a very profound question. It was a question not only for the women, but for uh, us today, that this, this dumb question is, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why, why do you look for the living among the dead? That's the question the women heard when they went to the tomb. And the reason it's dumb is because the women didn't go to the tomb looking for the living. You know, they, they had no doubt in their minds that Jesus was dead. And the reason for that was they had seen him die. If you go back and look in chapter 23, uh, that's what happens. Jesus is, is killed and, um, he is, uh, he's hanging on the cross until Joseph of Arimathea gets permission from Pilate to take the body. So Joseph of Arimathea takes the body and he buries it in a tomb. And the women are following along behind and they see this. So they know that Jesus is dead. The reason they go to the tomb isn't because they thought he was going to be alive. Nobody thought that. There was there was nobody else at the tomb that morning. It was just them. So so they went to the tomb expecting Jesus to be dead. And the reason they went to the tomb at all is because they knew that there were still things that had to be done as part of the burial rituals. So what had happened is by the time Jesus died and Joseph of Arimathea got permission to take the body, it was late in the afternoon on the, the eve of Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, no one was allowed to do any work. So they hurriedly put the body in the tomb and left it there um, and, and, and intended, intended to come back and finish the burial process on Sunday morning. So that's what happens. The Sabbath takes place from evening to evening. And Saturday evening, probably what happened is the women went out and got the, the materials they needed, the spices and so forth. And so they show up on Sunday morning, not because they thought Jesus would be alive. They didn't go there looking for the living. They went there looking for the dead. And they went to the tomb. And we pick it up in verse 1. Um, very early... Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. So they had gotten ready for this, and now they've arrived. And the reason they come in the morning is because this is the first century, and people don't have flashlights. They're going into a tomb that's been cut in the side of a hill, and they need some light to work by. They don't need a lot, but there will be enough once the sun rises. But they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait, you know, have a leisurely breakfast and sleep in, because because Jesus has been dead since Friday. And they're concerned that if we wait until it gets too warm, well, that would be unpleasant. So even more unpleasant. So they're kind of, let's get this thing over with. So they go out to the cemetery, they go out to the tomb, because they aren't looking for someone who's alive. They aren't looking for someone who's alive. They're looking for the body of Jesus so they can complete the process of burying him.
And when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they didn't know what to make of this. Who would, right? They went there. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They get there and there's no body. What do you make of that? They're standing there puzzling over this, not knowing what to make of it. And two men show up. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. Who are these men? Luke doesn't tell us. Uh, it's generally thought that they are angels because, you know, the first century, no one had all temperature cheer, so you had to, uh, you know, your clothes were probably not all that clean. So people think, well, maybe these are some kind of supernatural visitors. I don't know. There's there's arguments about this. Luke doesn't tell us. Back in the Christmas stories, back at the early part of his his uh, biography of Jesus, he uses the word angel. The angel comes and talks to Mary. The angel comes and talks to the shepherds. Luke knows the word angel, so he's describing them as men now. So I don't know why he does that. So are they men? Are they angels? We don't know. Whoever they are, they know where Jesus is. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground, but the men said to them this dumb question, why do you look for the living among the dead? And the women are thinking, I'm frightened, but that's not what I'm here for. And they say, he, Jesus, isn't here, but has been raised. He's not here. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise rise again. And then they remembered his words. So, he gives them a little nudge, helps them remember something that these two men do, and they do remember. They they remember. Um, they they remember that Jesus had said this. And and if we go back and and flip through the pages of Luke's biography, we see that actually Jesus has said this several times. He said it five times so far, and that's assuming Luke recorded them all. He may have he may have left some out. So he's talked about this at least five times. The problem isn't that they never heard Jesus say it. The problem is, like so many things, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. That 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 Jesus says to them Puzzling things, things that challenge their assumptions. Jesus says, the human one, the, the one that God had promised, the Messiah, who would, who would, um, uh, fix what was broken in the world, who would restore the world back to God's good intentions for it, that that human one would not be greeted and everyone would say, great, glad you're here. Instead, they would reject him and they would kill him and on the third day he would rise again. So they didn't understand it when Jesus said that. But that was just one of many things they didn't understand. When Jesus said things that challenged everything that they had ever thought about God or about people, the, the, the very idea that God would run to welcome the prodigal son. What a, what a crazy notion that was to people when they first heard it. Or the idea that, that, um, Samaritans are not an enemy to be hated, but a neighbor to be loved. These things were profoundly challenging to them. And, and if they're not to us today, it's simply uh, the, the power of the ideas working over time has changed that for us. So they they were challenged by these ideas just like the one that the human one would be killed. But I think the these men, the angels, whoever they are, aren't simply asking, why are you here in a graveyard? They understand that's where you go to look for a corpse. You know, if if you need a cadaver, Dr. Frankenstein taught us this, you go rob a grave. 
But that's not really what they're asking. What they're really asking is, remember, you followed Jesus for three years. You knew Jesus. Think back to what it was that made you follow him. Why would you follow this itinerant rabbi around Galilee for three years? What was he saying to you? What was it that made you want to follow him? Think back to that. And when you remember who Jesus was and what he did, ask yourself, could someone who was so alive ever die? Could he stay dead? If Jesus is dead, then who, who on earth could truly be called alive? How could Jesus stay dead? That's the question that the these angel men, whoever they are, that's the question they're asking. How could someone so alive stay dead? Someone who calmed the storm, someone who changed water into wine, someone who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind, and someone who taught, someone who taught things that were so liberating. The idea that, that you should love your enemies and not carry around your anger and hatred. The idea that when you find someone caught in sinning, you shouldn't throw stones at them. It was this. It was this idea that that made the women and all of his other disciples follow Jesus. And the men are saying, why would you ever think that somebody that alive could stay dead? Well, The women return from the tomb, we hear. So Luke tells us that when they return from the tomb, they reported all these things um, to the 11 and all the others. So the 11 disciples we think about when we think about the disciples, and then however many others there were. So it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. And the apostles said, oh great, I was hoping that would be the case. No, no, what the apostles said is those words uh, strike me as nonsense. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. And I've wondered if part of the words was that question, why would we go out to a graveyard looking for the living? Because it strikes them as nonsense, and yet, and yet, Peter runs to the tomb. Some of the other disciples went there too. Um, Peter ran to the tomb. And when he bent over and looked inside, he saw only the linen cloth. And then he returned home wondering what had happened. I think it bugged Peter, too, the way it bugged the women. Why would somebody so alive ever stay dead? The um, the the other biographies of Jesus, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the other ones record different appearances that Jesus made uh, during Easter morning. But that's where Luke leaves it. Luke proceeds on, if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to some afternoon appearances that Jesus made. But um, the other uh, biographies tell us that, that Jesus did eventually appear to Peter. Um, and so Peter, Peter was eventually convinced, either because that question continued to work on him or because he saw Jesus or whatever it was that persuaded Peter that Jesus had risen. But just two months later, actually seven weeks later, Peter is in the um, in the temple, and he is asking 
oh wait, I got ahead of myself. So, so um, I think one of the reasons that Peter Peter was thinking about it is um, in chapter six of Luke's uh, of John's biography, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, so some of them have left. They've said, what you're telling me is just too weird. I I can't get my head wrapped around it. I don't want to. I don't want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus asks the twelve, what about you? Do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter says, oh, I've thought about it. He says, Lord, where would I go? Where would any of us go? You are the one. You have the words of eternal life. That's, I think, what was working inside Peter as he's thinking this over. How could someone as alive as Jesus, someone who has the words of eternal life, how could that man ever stay dead? And a couple of months later, two months later, seven weeks, Peter is in the temple and he's telling people this. He's saying, he's saying, yes, I was there. I saw him killed. You saw him killed. A lot of you were involved in his killing. But God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. He was too alive. He is too alive for death to hang on to him. And so this is a good question for us. This is still a good question. Why do we seek the living among the dead? Or better yet, where do we seek the living? When, when we are, when we're struggling with the, the hard questions of life, who do we turn to? Where do we turn for answers to those questions? I mean, some of us just try to figure it out on a case by case basis. I'm just gonna, you know, attack each problem from, from the, the, you know, first presentation. I'm gonna try and figure it out then. But, but the reality is we are influenced by our, our, uh, relationships and, and the culture we live in. So it's just a question of basically where are we getting those ideas? Very few people have a truly original thought. They have, they have a concern, you know, how, where can I find, where can I find meaning in my life? Where can I find significance? How can I have, how can I have a, a better relationship? When, when people are facing the big questions, they, they rarely come up with an original idea. I'll be the first person ever to think about doing it this way. So the question is, where do we get, where do we turn to for life? Where do we turn to for those words to a better life, the words to eternal life? So many of us turn to philosophies or ideologies. We, we, um, we go back to coaches who, you know, if we look at history, have a long record of losses. But we keep going back and saying, can I have a winning season? Well, good luck with that. Sometimes we go to celebrities or to self-help gurus or to entertainers, even though oftentimes we know that their lives are train wrecks. And, you know, they're all over the tabloids. So we go to people who don't have better lives than we have. And we say, I want to have a life like them. Where do we go to seek the kind of living we want to have? Who do we turn to? Where do we get answers to the profound questions of life? I don't say this to judge the people we turn to. They're trying. And they're actually willing to say, here's what I've been doing. But are they successful? Do you really want to model your life after this philosopher or that entertainer? Does he or she have the words of eternal life? 
it's hard to imagine you'll find anybody who has a better record than Jesus. They haven't risen from the dead yet, have they? But Jesus did. And Jesus has a 2,000-year track record of transforming people's lives. He has turned fair people into saints. And he's turned terrible people into merely bad. And for those of us in the middle, there's 2,000 years of testimony that Jesus has transformed lives for the better. Jesus has given them the answers to the big questions. He's enabled them to move forward and have more meaningful relationships, more purpose, more value, to find peace, to find joy. This is what Jesus can do. So, let me ask you this. If you're not familiar with Jesus, if you're not familiar with what Jesus teaches, the things that the women followed around Jesus, uh, followed around in Galilee to hear, don't you owe it to yourself to at least check out what Jesus has to say? Just to include Jesus in that list of celebrities and philosophers that you turn to for help. Don't you owe it to yourself to do that? And if, if you are a Christian, don't you owe it to yourself to lean in, to say, all right, I know what, what Jesus tells me to do here. I'm going to do it confident that Jesus will transform me in the process. So I invite you to ask this question, this dumb question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Ask yourself, where are you looking for the living that you want to have? Because you will not find it in a graveyard. Because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed.